everybody. I'm Patricia Duff, and welcome to The Common Good. We are really excited to have uh, our Attorney General, Letitia James. She's just an amazing, been an amazing Attorney General um, and an amazing public service person for a very long time. But before we get started, I just want to acknowledge a few special guests in the audience. From our Honorable Advisory Board, we have Bernard Schwartz, Silda Wall-Spitzer, our former First Lady of New York, Kate Koplovitz, Susan Del Percio, and uh, we've got the Honorable Gillian Sorensen, um, past speaker Arun Sandurai Rajan uh, from the press, Juju Chang, and Neil Shapiro from um, PBS. So we're, and many, many others. Our audience is full of people who really are out there uh, for the common good. But at the common good, you know, we offer our audience opportunity to be part of a meaningful conversation with leaders in government or media, business, and academia. We try to provide honest, reasoned debate and a true exchange of ideas. We're incredibly proud of our commitment to fight misinformation and division and find common ground. And so if you're enjoying these conversations and you haven't done so already, please consider joining or donating to the common good. We'd love to welcome you. And tonight we are really honored to have a leader rising on the national stage, Attorney General Letitia James. Her lifelong history of public service has also included serving as New York City public advocate, representing the 35th district in city council and as a public defender. As attorney general, Tish James brought a lawsuit against the NRA for fraudulent bankruptcy claims and corruption. She filed criminal tax fraud charges against the Trump organization and sued Google and Facebook for anti-competitive behavior. And issued a report on the misconduct allegations against Governor Cuomo. She's recently announced that she is running for governor of New York State, and we are very excited to watch uh, how all that goes. So Attorney General James, thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled you're here. Thank you. And thank to you. this conversation, we've got- Thank you so much for that introduction. We're well, getting thank feedback. You. Well, you're, thank you. You, you're, you've got a great group here to meet, and we're there looking forward to hearing from you. And to help us with that conversation, we have the newest member of the Common Good Honorary Advisory Board, Kimberly Atkins-Store. Kimberly is a senior opinion writer at the Boston Globe, a contributor at MSNBC, and the host of the fabulous Sisters-in-Law podcast. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us, and I will pass the conversation over to you. Thank you so much, Patricia. It's an honor to be here. And thank you, General James, for joining us for this conversation. So we only have a half an hour, but I want to dive in, sort of start at the top. Um, you've had a decades-long career in public service. What made you want to go into public service? Did you envision that you would be Attorney General of New York and a gubernatorial candidate, at least when you started out? Tell us, sort of take us on the, the journey to where you are now. Well, first, let me thank you and thank Kit and thank Pat and thank the staff and the board and the partners of uh, uh, Common Good for inviting me to participate. Uh, thank them so much for all that they are doing to make this a more perfect union. A lot of people talk about democracy, but Pat and you actually live it each and every day. You've contributed much to our society in so many ways, but when um, Patricia found Common Good, it has to be uh, 
probably one of the most important ways to demonstrate our commitment to one another, sh sharing of ideas and information, to meet and understand each other, to address misinformation and disinformation, and to come away with mutual respect for one another. Uh, there might have been a time when we took things for granted, uh, like an informed electorate and mutual respect, but the past few years have shown how much we've become divided. We are, in fact, we are more divided than we've been in a very long time. And it's really critically important that we come together and, and that we are much more united. Um, President Kennedy once said that leadership and learning are indispensable to one another. And I wanna thank again, this great organization for being an indispensable leader um, and in the cause of learning for all Americans. I am a public servant. I've dedicated my career and my life to public service because as a young child, I can recall when my mother took me um, to criminal court when my brother was falsely accused. And I can recall that uh, when we were in the courtroom, everyone who was in a position of power did not look like me. And I wanted to change that, that narrative and I wanted to change that picture. And I uh, wanted to be an attorney uh, so that no one in criminal court or any other courthouse would be disrespected. And I wanted to ensure that they were receiving justice. You see, I live and breathe um, justice. I read a book entitled Simple Justice, where individuals uh, took on legal segregation in this nation. Um, and I wanted to attend a school in Howard University, uh, which was the laboratory for the civil rights movement. Uh, I wanted to walk the halls where Thurgood Marshall walked and so many others. And I just wanted to improve the lives of those who are struggling, those who are locked out of the sunshine of opportunity, those who did not have a voice in government. Um, and each and every day, um, I stand up for those without a voice, stand up for vulnerable communities, stand up for what is right, stand up for women, uh, stand up for those who are struggling with environmental racism, uh, stand up uh, again for immigrants, stand up for working people who unfortunately are having a difficult time making ends meet. Um, I speak to everyone um, and uh, it's really an honor and a privilege to serve as the Attorney General. But at the end of the day, all that I am is a mere public servant. Um, and I look forward to serving uh, the public uh, on a larger stage. Um, as you know, I've worked in the state legislature, was a city council member, public advocate, now the attorney general of the state of New York, and look forward to serving uh, the great citizens of the great state of New York as the next governor. So I want to ask you for a lot of people, as you've had a, a long history of uh, public service in the state of New York, before a lot of people, uh, you came across the radar with the more high profile cases, including uh, your investigation and um, report into uh, now former Governor Andrew Cuomo. Sort of walk us through a little bit about your experience with that investigation and the aftermath of that, including the, the broad uh, public interest in that? So when I decided to run for the office of attorney general, I had no idea that I would be thrust into the public eye. Um, and then I, representing the great state of New York, decided to defend and protect democracy all across this nation. It was really critically important to fight back against regressive policies that turn back the clock of all the progress that we've made in the nation, standing up for reproductive rights, standing up on behalf of the environment, uh, standing up on behalf of immigrants, standing up uh, um, to defend the census. Um, issue after issue, New York led under my leadership. Um, and uh, it's important that everyone understand uh, that when I stepped onto the stage uh, to issue this report, the report uh, was the investigation into the former governor of the state of New York, Governor Cuomo. Um, and the investigation was referred to my office by the governor of the state of New York. 
that referral came from him. He indicated that he trusted my leadership um, and that I was experienced and that he believed in me. Unfortunately, um, after engaging in this investigation, appointing two independent um, uh, professionals, individuals with experience in investigating sexual harassment, individuals whose resumes um, and credentials with, are without beyond dispute, um, he unfortunately did not agree with the findings. And the findings concluded after 174,000 pieces of evidence, which, was, which corroborated and substantiated the charges, it concluded that Governor Cuomo, um, in fact, um, uh, harassed these 11 women and uh, last but not least, um, was responsible for a very toxic environment, which unfortunately objectified women. Um, and I support that report. The report um, was beyond politics. The report was based on the, on the facts. And as of today, we've released the transcripts based on the interview of former Governor Cuomo, as well as the 11 women, and we'll be releasing more of the transcript following our redaction. As you know, um, I believe uh, the 11 women, I believe in the, the independent way that we handled this investigation and the professional manner in which we conducted this investigation. And all that I ask of the former governor to do is to own up and take responsibility for his own conduct. Um, it's important to know that these were primarily young women who, all, who just wanted to serve government, who believed in public service. And unfortunately, they were reduced to nothing more than objects. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I stand by that report and it, will, and it is a public document and I urge everyone to read it, to read the transcripts and to read all 84 pages, which also, conclude, which also includes additional evidence. So I wanna, on that, on the point about that investigation and the transcripts, last week, as you know, the New York Daily News uh, editorial board wrote an op-ed calling into question how the probe was conducted uh, and noted that many of the interviews conducted were not recorded or digitally stored um, and, and including interviews with the governor's staff. You noted today um, that yeah. a lot of those, uh, that you released a lot of transcripts. What do you say uh, to this uh, editorial that points out that some of those were not saved for posterity um, and, and call into question about the way this investigation was carried out? So as of today, we released the transcript of the former governor. We, reached, we released the transcript of all 11 women we will continue to release, uh, again, interviews with other additional individuals. Um, it's really critically important that individuals under, understand that this investigation was done on a professional manner. It was independent. We hired two of the best attorneys um, and the uh, product speaks for itself. Um, by no means was it political. It was an exhaustive um, uh, investigation, unlike the former governor, Governor Cuomo, who investigated um, Elliot Spitzer, as well as Eric Snyderman, who conducted an investigation on his own without a referral and based upon and using his own staff. You have to compare his investigation versus the investigation that we conducted, which was very independent. And you can only conclude that our investigation was above board, beyond politics, um, and um, was done in a manner which respects the independence and then provides accountability and transparency for all to witness and to see for themselves. 
Just one last question on this before we move on, because we want to talk about uh, the breadth of your experience um, in the Attorney General's office and beyond. Just for those who say it's really expedient that you, politically expedient that you are seeking the same office that Cuomo holds. What do you say to those uh, who, who have questions about that? So there, again, Governor Cuomo has accused me of engaging in politics, issuing a report, uh, again, to further my own political ambitions. And nothing can be further from the truth. The reality is that they are nothing more than distractions. And what the governor is saying represents a big lie, similar to another elected official. The reality is, is that this is a chance of a lifetime. And the reality is, is that New York requires transformational change. And it's important to understand that based upon my experience as a former attorney working in the legislature, as counsel to corporations, authorities, and commissions and children and families, as a former city council member who passed a number of bills, who stood up to um, special interest in, in the city and in the state of New York, who uncovered the biggest scandal in the city of New York, known as City Time, recovering $500 million for New Yorkers, who took on uh, the former mayor, Mayor Bloomberg, when he extended third, the third term, um, who, uh, as the public advocate of the city of New York, who, do, who convinced the pension board to divest from guns and from fossil fuels, and now as the attorney general who has taken on Donald Trump, who has taken on the NRA and who has taken on the governor of the state of New York, it's really all about truth and justice and public service and representing the interest of New Yorkers and Americans and putting, again, their interest beyond politics. Standing so, so speak. Yes, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to say, speaking of all of that experience, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned as attorney general. And I just want to note that you, as you pointed out, you sued Google and Facebook for anti-competitive behavior. Uh, there was the NRA financial corruption yes. uh, investigation uh, and NYPD for its investigation of, pro for its handling of protesters. Of course, the, the Trump organization indictment, including um, uh, the indictment of the organization itself, as well as CFO Alan Weisselberg, if you can pick out one or two biggest lessons from all of those investigations that, that, you've, that you've had. The lesson is simple, that no one is above the law, including the former president and the former governor of the state of New York, that everyone must be held accountable. And despite the fact um, that individuals can criticize me, the reality is, is that I have dedicated my entire career to public service. Coming from a humble beginning, it's really all about truth and justice. And it goes back to the time that I read that book entitled Simple Justice. Simple and sweet justice. It's part of who I am. It runs through my DNA. It's part of my existence. And it's the reason why I continue to dedicate my life to public service and would like to continue as the next governor of the state of New York. So we know that when things involving folks whose last name is Cuomo or Trump is going to get the headlines, what policy issue that you have worked on do you think hasn't gotten the headlines that people don't give as much attention as they should? So there's a number of issues. In New York, we have high concentrations of poverty, particularly in upstate rural counties. Where they have in Rochester, for example, we have one of the highest child poverty rates, not only in New York, but in the nation. New York, this progressive state, you've got children right now who are hungry. There's parts of uh, upstate New York where there's so much unemployment 
and there's misery. Recently, we settled um, a opioids litigation. Uh, we sued five manufacturers and distributors, um, and we've reached a settlement of $1.5 billion for New Yorkers who are, who are uh, against individuals who are responsible for the opioid crisis. I recently went out, I went on a tour all around the state of New York to provide hope to all of those who lost family members as a result of the opioid crisis and providing them with resources uh, for treatment and for education and for beds and to prevent this crisis from happening again. You know, in the year uh, 2020, we lost more individuals from drug overdoses during the, during the COVID period. Individuals who unfortunately were so socially isolated and who could not get to their counselors and to their programs. And what we need to do as government officials is respond to the crisis to all of those family members who lost loved ones. No amount of money can ever bring them their loved ones back. But what we can do is prevent this from happening again. And so I believe that what we need to do is focus on all of the issues in upstate New York, particularly in rural counties that unfortunately has been ignored for far too long. And that's why it was my honor and my duty um, to meet these families, these humble families who work each and every day to make ends meet, but also who are struggling, struggling to pay rent, struggling to put food on their table, struggling to put um, gas in their car, struggling. And what we need to do is make improve their lives. I want to thank President Biden for the child care tax credit that went a long way in addressing child poverty. But we as New Yorkers must and should do more. And what we should do is not be focused on our donors and benefiting our donors. What we should do is improve the lives of New Yorkers, particularly those who have been locked out of the sunshine of opportunity. It's about hope, inspiration, resources, and bringing the largest of government to those who are struggling. So, so let me ask you this. You were the first uh, Black woman to hold New York citywide elected office, first woman of color, uh, the first woman of color to hold office, uh, the office of New York Attorney General. If you were elected, you would be the first uh, elected Black woman governor anywhere. Can you tell me what that means for you? Sh should it mean something? In, in, we're in 2021, so it's sad that these firsts are still not happening or are still only on the precipice of happening. But what does that mean to you in your campaign? What, does, what has that meant for you in your work? So let me just say, um, it's pretty obvious that I'm a woman of color. Um, and the reality is, is that as the first woman elected citywide, the first woman of color elected statewide, the first woman elected on a third party line when I was a city council member. I've done a lot of first. Those are nothing more than historical footnotes as far as I'm concerned. The question for me is what do you do with the power that's in your hand? How can you improve the life of a child? How can you improve the life of a family? How can you improve working families? What policies can you put forward? Again, that, will, can, that can fundamentally transform individuals and fundamentally transform New York state. That's what I have done at each and every level of government. Make change, equal pay for equal work. Passed a law in the New York City, which is now state law, which again, um, prevents employers from asking women about their previous salary history because the feminization of poverty is real. Reproductive rights, taking on fights all across this nation, leading as the Attorney General of New York to stand up for reproductive rights because women, again, should have uh, control over their own bodies. We sued the former president of the United States 76 times 
for environmental degradation, for environmental policies, again, which threaten the health and the safety of Americans. Um, and we stood up time and time again on behalf of immigrants, families separated at the border, um, the citizenship question on the census, um, standing up for DACA, um, those who obviously want to be um, citizens and will want to come to our shores. Time and time again, we have stood up for vulnerable and marginalized families and marginalized individuals. And we will do that as the Attorney General and as the Governor of the State of New York, doing what is right. Again, people over politics. Time and time again, I've demonstrated and I've been demonstrated my independence and my commitment to nothing more um, than serving the interest of working families. So our time is limited. Yeah, and I want to save enough time for um, uh, questions from the audience. So I'm going to ask these two questions together because they sort of align. Um, during the pandemic, uh, we have seen many New Yorkers, particularly wealthy New Yorkers, leave uh, to go to other places, Florida, Connecticut, other places. So what is your plan to lure those New Yorkers back uh, in order to make up for the loss in uh, tax revenue that that uh, that that exodus has caused. And at the same time, New York is a very high tax state, um, one of the highest tax states in the country. And I report a lot on Massachusetts, so I know of high tax states. Um, what is your thought for a system that gives breaks for real estate businesses uh, and removing the cap for carried interest? So let me just say that as the attorney general, um, I challenge the Trump administration when they imposed state and local tax deduction, when they capped it. It was this office, it was my office. I urged them to go to court uh, again and to defend and to protect New Yorkers. Um, and now I am working with government officials on the federal level so that we can release the cap on state and local taxes that is hurting individuals in our suburbs and all throughout the state of New York. It's also important that individuals understand that I represented downtown Brooklyn and was responsible for building more affordable housing. And I look forward to building more affordable housing and addressing the needs of individuals, uh, obviously, um, who uh, recognize that we've got a crisis in building affordable housing. We also need to deal with individuals who are struggling with mental illness on the streets of New York City and all across the state of New York. And we also need to invite back people to uh, what I would call the greatest state on the universe, and that is New York State. We are the center of the universe. And individuals who have gone to Florida, it's time to come back. It's time to come back to a state who recognizes that business and real estate are central and critical to our economy. And also recognize uh, that what we need to do is work together. We need to be united. We need to be one. We need to recognize that New York State represents that shiny hill um, and that all dreams are possible here in New York. And so it has been my honor and my privilege to serve as Attorney General, but it is going to be the greatest honor not only to make history, but to serve as the next governor of the state of New York and bring us all together as one united, one state. All right, I'm gonna welcome Patricia back to uh, help us with the questions from the audience. Thank you so much for this discussion. Thank, Thank you, Thank you, thank you. That was remarkable, especially given the fact that it was um, had in such short time. And we've got a lot of questions, so I'm gonna ask you to be very, very brief uh, in your questions and sure. um, hopefully we can move through them. First, I'm gonna start with Neil Shapiro. Thank you for that. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. I wonder if you look at a race in New Jersey that was very tight for the governorship, the loss in Virginia, 
What do you think the voters were trying to tell the Democratic Party, if anything? That's a great question. One, um, you know, I, I have family members in Virginia, and I just think uh, they ran a really poor campaign. There were parts of Chesapeake and Norfolk and Hampton and Portsmouth where I did not see uh, the Terry McCauley campaign. And I think it's really critically important that we speak to the issues that New Yorkers um, and Virginians and Americans want to hear about. Listen, inflation is real. Um, groceries, uh, the cost of food and, and bread, they're, they're on the rise. Um, and all you have to look at is um, you know, the price of gas. Um, individuals are having a difficult time at a time when wages are stagnated. And so we really need to speak to the felt needs of Americans and we need to listen. Most politicians don't wanna listen. They wanna you know, talk about uh, what they think is in the best interest of Americans. I wanna listen. I have sat at, at humble homes around kitchen tables and I've heard um, the struggles of women with childcare and with education and with outcomes and with uh, the price of housing, et cetera. And, every, and, and what I know is that Virginians um, and New Yorkers basically want the same thing. Um, they want a safe community. Um, they want a safe home. They want to make sure their children go to good schools. Um, and they want to be in a position where they can afford the comforts of, uh, of being an American. And what we need to do is look at those issues. As the Attorney General from this vantage point, I also recognize that state agencies in New York State have been starved for a very long time. They have been not, they have a, they've been poorly trained, they're understaffed, underappreciated, and there is no vision because there has not been any leadership. And policies have come from the executive, the second floor. For instance, um, on Department of Health, the Department of Health has been gutted out. And the Department of Health, as you know, should have been issuing policies with respect to the nursing homes during COVID. As you know, I issued a report regarding the undercounting of nursing home deaths during the Cuomo administration. Um, the Cuomo administration took issue with my report. But the, re the problem was is that the former governor, Governor Cuomo, did not rely upon the experts at the Department of Health. And now the Department of Health has been hollowed out. They left. They resigned. And that should not be the case. We should rely upon professionals and experts and commissioners, and we should respect the workforce of individuals who work for the great state of New York. Terrific. Um, let me, let's go to, I'm gonna put a couple together because I wanna make sure we can get to as many as possible. Uh, from David Kemp, how would you propose to work with Mayor Adams for the benefit of New York City and um, do you agree with Eric Adams that bail reform law needs to be reformed? Let's start with those two. I know Eric Adams. I'm, I know um, I've known Eric Adams for 25 years. Uh, we've been neighbors. We're friends. We go back a long way. Um, and um, I do agree with uh, um, Mayor to be Adams, Mayor elect Adams, with respect to crime. Um, we've got a serious gun violence issue. We've got a gang violence issue. And he being a former detective um, in my former precinct, the 88th precinct in Brooklyn, obviously he uh, basically commands that space and will do a lot to address um, uh, the gun problem, the violent uh, crime problem that we are seeing an uptick in New York State. Um, but it's not just limited to New York State. Um, we are seeing it all across this nation. And what we need are responsible gun control, 
uh, measures here in this country. As the Attorney General, we have taken off the streets of New York State 2,600 guns through gun buybacks. Two, um, my detectives in the Office of Attorney General have arrested a number of gangs. Uh, we've arrested a number of individuals who have been trafficking in narcotics and in guns. Three, um, we have been looking at some legislation that was recently passed, which would allow me to take action against gun manufacturers and gun distributors for um, engaging in a nuisance. Um, and uh, because right now the federal government basically immunizes gun manufacturers and gun distributors. Um, as the attorney general or any attorney general in this country, we cannot take any action against any gun manufacturer or any gun distributor because unfortunately Congress is in the pocket of the gun lobby. And we must change that. Moms Against Guns um, is a wonderful organization and there's so many other organizations I look forward to, um, to working with. But we, our number one priority as Mayor Adams has indicated, Mayor V. Adams has indicated is we need to address gun violence and violent crime in New York State and in New York City, but we also must focus on those who are struggling with mental illness. We have not paid any attention to that at all. They were released, um, these individuals were released from hospitals in upstate New York, the hospitals closed, we were promised community-based organizations would address their needs. Unfortunately, those community-based organizations never opened and they did not address their needs. And now we are seeing a problem with individuals who are struggling with mental illness, crying for help, who need our attention. And I look forward again to working with um, Mayor B. Adams and all other mayors all across the state to address this problem. Thank you. Well, there are two questions that, and it's related to guns, but uh, two people asking a question similarly. Um, are there any specific plans to deal with the SCOTUS ruling, the Supreme Court ruling on the New York gun permit laws if they strike it down, the ability to uh, carry guns? And then I, if you have that, and then if you have time, we hope we can get you to talk about uh, someone in um, Putnam County received a notice today that her electricity is now by default 100% renewable. Is that happening statewide or will it be? So um, let's go so, from guns to uh, electricity. Yeah. So as you know, we, the, the Cary case was argued this past week. Um, the Solicitor General, Barbara Underwood, did a great job. But if you read the transcript or um, you listened to it online, some of the conservative judges on the Supreme Court asked questions um, as to why shouldn't individuals carry guns in violent communities? Um, some of the questions were really alarming and concerning. Um, so I'm really concerned uh, about a challenge uh, to the law, which basically says that individuals have to basically put forth a cause, a, a reason as to why they should carry a, a gun. Um, if this law is declared unconstitutional, it will basically grant individuals um, to carry legal guns all throughout the city of New York. And, um, and um, that could be a problem, um, particularly given the number of incidents with guns, the number of children who get access to guns, um, and incidents um, where individuals resort to guns over relatively minor um, offenses um, and incidents. I'm very much concerned about um, the Supreme Court um, and their decision with respect to this law. I hope it goes our way. I hope, again, the, the, um, uh, the more progressive individuals on the Supreme Court they're urging um, that the court be that the that the case be remanded to develop additional facts, and that's what we are hoping for. And I hope that that is the outcome. 
With respect to the call that you just received from Putnam County about renewables, I support renewables. I don't know um, if we're going immediately to 100% renewables. I'm not sure where this call came from. I need to learn more. I would urge her to reach out to my office at 1-800-771-7755 to provide me with more information. Thank you so much. Well, this has been incredible. Any chance you have time to answer one more question about um, from two different people about taxes? What do you propose doing to keep um, business interests here, grow business interests and jobs upstate? But um, you know, the burden of taxes is very going to be very very heavy potentially on New Yorkers. We need to use our tax. We need to use the tax code in New York State, the federal tax code as well, to build more affordable housing in upstate New York. It is so essential. Again, in upstate New York, we need to, again, attract economic engines for growth and for development. We lost industry in some of these counties. They left, um, and that's why we are seeing high rates of unemployment. We are seeing a loss in census in upstate New York. What we need to do is use both the state tax code as well as the federal tax code to attract more businesses to upstate New York and to build affordable housing. And we have an opportunity because we are at an inflection point with the infrastructure funds that are coming into the state of New York and build back better. We hope funds coming into New York, we can use those funds to build up those communities, particularly in upstate New York, in the city, as well as in the suburbs, to rebuild economies, provide for individuals, provide for jobs, address, um, build up our apprenticeship program, use the trades, make sure we build union. I am a big union person because we recognize unions are inextricably tied to the middle class because so much in our country and our society um, is because of the middle, because of the, the labor movement. This is truly an FDR moment. Let's not screw it up. We can lift all boats. We can make a significant difference, transformational difference in the lives of working people who need hope and inspiration and obviously need to focus on building up their families and children. I plan to do that working with you, working with trades, working with unions, working with New Yorkers from Buffalo to Suffolk County. Um, it has been an honor to serve as the attorney general but again, with my experience and my know-how of how state government works, it will be a privilege, an exciting moment to serve as the governor of the state of New York. Well, it's been an honor, a great honor to have you, Attorney General Letitia James, as our guest tonight. And Kimberly Eckenstor, thank you so much for the excellent moderating um, and interviewing our terrific guests. And thank you all for joining us. I'm sorry we don't have more time. There were about 10 other questions, but thank you for giving us this time tonight. And we hope we see you again. Thank you thank all. You. Next week we've got, or actually in two weeks, we're gonna thank have- Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, we'll have Representative Abigail Spanberger with Jane Harmon, uh, Pennsylvania Senate candidate, Connor Lamb, on Thursday, December 9th, the future of news in a post-truth world with Congressman David Jolly, former Dean of Harvard Law, Martha Minow, broadcasting pioneer Newton Minow, moderated by Rick Solomon. On January 6th, we're gonna have Adam Schiff and talk about the investigation into January 6th and um, a lot of other really interesting topics. Martin Indyk, uh, Fiona Hill, great speakers all. And thank you so much for joining us. I hope we'll see you soon. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you so Thank you. much.